And so for students, I just think they need to be able to acknowledge like what they're able to do in this moment. Like, hey, you can sit down and you can sight read this piece. It might only be two notes at first, but hey, look, you just turn this system of random, you know, blobs of ink on a page into actual music. Isn't that amazing? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and on up through the through the spectrum, right? I just think it's so important that we do take time ourselves and for our students to acknowledge that like, yes, there's a long road ahead and there's all kinds of things we can do. But like, can we just take a, a second and celebrate what we're able to do like right now? Like, I think that's really, really good. Hi, I'm Ben Kaplow and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Christina Whitlock. Christina operates a bustling independent studio in Muncie, Indiana. She holds a Bachelor of Music degree in piano performance and a Master of Music in piano performance and pedagogy. Christina began teaching in the private setting when she was only 14 and has maintained a full studio roster ever since. She's proud to be celebrating 25 years of piano teaching this summer. In addition to her home studio, Christina also teaches adjunct at Taylor University as instructor of piano and piano pedagogy, as well as director of their Center for Musical Development. She is a frequent educator and often asked to speak to teacher groups at the local, state, and national level. Christina has served on the Indiana Music Teachers Association Board of Directors since 2006, currently acting as Independent Music Teacher Forum Chair and Recording Secretary. She's also a former state president. And because a music teacher's job is never done, Christina launched a podcast last fall called Beyond Measure with Christina Whitlock, which is a weekly shout out of solidarity for the independent teaching profession. This interview was intended as a pep talk for piano teachers. We basically go through a bunch of reasons why piano teaching is great and is worthy of excitement, even in situations that might stereotypically be sources of uneasiness. I love Christina's positive attitude and I'm sure you will too. Before we begin the interview, I want to make it a feature of this podcast to help other teachers promote their works as long as I look through the works myself in detail and can vouch for their quality. If you'd like to do the same, feel free to reach out to me through the contact page at www.bencapolo.com. For today, I'd like to let you know about Kathy Kerr's Drill and Excel on the Piano series. The word drill is apt in the title since Kathy's philosophy is all about providing sufficient repetition such that the teacher can be absolutely certain that their students have internalized the concepts they've been taught. The books are very thorough, each encompassing well over 100 pages of material with a large focus on rhythms that I appreciated, but also work on pieces written by Kathy, scales, and other technical exercises. The element that I most admire is the work on your own song exercises throughout the book where students are given blank staves and encouraged to utilize the concepts they just learned to create their own compositions. You can find out more information about Kathy's books at www.melodymusicpublishers.com. Now on to the interview with Christina. I hope you enjoy. Christina, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me, Ben. I've been looking forward to it. Great. Um, so today, my intention with this episode is to give a pep talk to piano teachers. My fantasy is that everyone listening will be in a better mood by the time they're done listening. I decided to go this route with today's interview because 
your approach to piano teaching and podcasting is about as optimistic as I've ever seen. I mean, each of your episodes, the title is Cheers to and then something. And the homepage of your studio website in big, bold letters says positive piano instruction. <laughs> um, the tone of your podcast is very uplifting. Uplifting. So I'm interested in kind of where you feel this positive attitude comes from and specifically how that optimism affects your approach to all of the musical work that you do. Wow. Well, you know, first of all, that's a great question. <laughs> it caused me like this really big deep dive. I was like, oh man, why am I the way I am? <laughs> Very psychologically heavy stuff. My then. goal is to play um, the role of therapist. <laughs> I know, I know. But before I like, you know, I won't dive into the rabbit trail of, you know, childhood insecurities and, and you know, defense mechanisms, but... <laughs> Just kidding. No, I do think that an overall, like, people-centered, positive attitude is deeply rooted in my DNA um, and very much attributed to the way I was brought up. Um, I have, you know, my parents were very, they're very different, but yet it was kind of like the perfect recipe for a piano teacher, I feel like, in my development. Um, Well, I'll tell you, so, like, my dad was like the ultimate people person. And my dad just had this way of like, he could get along with anyone. He had friends with all the resources in the world, lots of extravagance in their lives. And then he also was friends with many people who no one else would be friends with. Um, and he just, his number one like point of frustration was when anyone would assert any kind of arrogance over anyone else. So, you know, people were people. And, you know, the second you tried to, you know, pretend that you had any kind of leg up on anyone, like you were just out. Like my dad was also very like, tell it like it is. So more so than I am. (laughs) But anyway, so I think that that modeling of like, hey, you know, people are people like that allows me to teach a really wide variety of students. And my mom, on the other hand, um, you know, she worked as a director of nursing in nursing homes her whole life. So she was a boss, you know, (laughs) Um, but she had this great reputation because everyone loved working for my mom because she could get people to do what she needed them to do, but always in a really positive, like soft spoken way. And it was never like, you know, forcing anyone So we kind of combine some of the social skills of your father with the leadership skills of your mother. Yeah. And just the fact that you get, you know, what is it? You attract more bees with honey than whatever, (laughs) whatever that saying is. I Um, I know. know, I'll include it in the show notes. (laughs) Thanks. Please do. No, it's just that, you know, that approach to humanity of, you know, we're all kind of working from the same, um, you know, the same stance here and we're all a product of different environments and, you know, and, but we're all humans. So I, I think that that's kind of where a lot of it comes from. Um, but in terms of piano teaching, you know, I just feel like we are in the connection business mm-hmm. and sometimes, I don't know, I'm so proud of the piano teaching profession, the way it's evolved itself over the last few decades, you know, and how much professionalism we've brought to this career and what we've been able to do to like legitimize our craft. (laughs) But then sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of swing in the opposite direction where sometimes we feel like our students are supposed to be serving us. (laughs) And that is just, you know, I mean, I think it's got to be this like, you know, 
what works for you needs to work for me, you know, balanced relationship. But anyway, so I just feel like as long as I keep myself in a mindset that I am here to facilitate this musical journey for whoever is in front of me, we're good to go, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Now, I'd like to talk today about how that attitude you're describing works in specific scenarios. And I want to start off today talking about some elements that perhaps some in the piano teaching world might have negative associations and how you reframe how... um, we might think of these elements in perhaps a more positive light. This is something you do a lot on your podcast, which I always appreciate. Um, So for instance, you were talking about connections with students. I want to talk about how you feel you can do that with students who don't provide perhaps positive feedback or show clear signs of enthusiasm the way some other students do. You talk about this in your episode, Cheers to the Quiet One. So I have one student like this who's a teenager and is very, very kind of inward and reserved. And it's very hard to tell if he's excited or not, or what is working and what's not. I mean, he completely cooperates with everything I say, but is not, doesn't smile or like give me the the type (laughs) of positive feedback that perhaps other students do. So how can we as piano teachers get excited about teaching and connecting with students who may be more inward and might not display their enjoyment in a way that's as immediately obvious to us as it is with some of our other students? Oh, sure. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, it is awkward, right? When you have a student that is like barely answering your questions Mm -hmm. or not giving you any kind of feedback, you know, I mean, that's tough as the teacher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we love those students that come in and tell us jokes and tell us what a great teacher we are and, you know, give us all that constant, like positive feedback. Like, of course, we love those students. Um, In my mind, I think what I've learned over the years is that, you know, those students with those kind of magnetic personalities that we're automatically drawn to, like they are going to make it in the world regardless of what they pursue, right? Like if they have those characteristics, like they are already, you know, set for better success than the students who are a little bit more inward and are going to struggle a little bit more with that connection. And so for me, you know, I don't know, I can't say that I'm like mega excited about it, but I I just look at it as I am really providing an important benefit, you know, for all students, but especially those students who might not feel so comfortable in their skin. Um, and it's also just a matter of putting yourself in their perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a lot to, you know, open yourself up for critique more and more and more I realize this and being a parent of a very self-conscious, anxious uh, 10-year-old right now (laughs) is really eye-opening for me because I see like, um, you know, my 10-year-old has this personality very much like mine where if she doesn't know she's going to do really, really well at something, like it's very hard for her to do it. And It's funny because she's very natural at anything she tries, like things come to her so easily, but until she knows it's going to come, then it's really hard for her. So I think when our students are, you know, acting a little bit more, you know, in that reserved space, a lot of times that's the issue, you know, of that, or they're dealing with some significant anxiety issues and all kinds of things that I, you know, have done oodles of research on because again, I'm a parent of one of these kids. Um, but anyway, I just think you have to stay focused, 
in general on the connection that you're making with the student and the information that you're providing them. You know, regardless of how they respond to you, that you are just there to, you know, to deliver the information and to keep encouraging and, you know, you just never know. I've just, in my life, I know the the feedback that I've received from students after they've, you know, gone on with their adult lives is that, like, those are the students to, to whom it seemed to have meant the most yeah. because I just continued to pour into them. And I didn't back off when they, you know, showed signs of, you know, hesitancy. Um, and I just, I think that's so important. It's been really gratifying in my life to hear like these students that I didn't think enjoyed their lessons at all. <laughs> and I always wondered why they kept coming yeah. back. Uh, you know, I've heard, you know, in retrospect, how much they loved being here. And that is, I think, the heart of what we do. So yeah, I've had that experience in my studio as well, where a student who I couldn't really tell if they were liking the lessons or not, and was kind of shy. After the fact, I learned that they love the lessons. And I think part of it goes to what you were saying about vulnerability with that some yeah. of these students were teaching them to be vulnerable, they might not be as immediately comfortable with putting themselves out there as some of our other students. But that's partly what we can help them build with piano lessons Absolutely. when they're playing these emotional pieces and they're opening themselves up to critiques from us. I mean, we're giving them a new skill that they don't have. So I, that's at least what yeah. I try to think about with students like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, and you know, like, you know how it is, like students, even though we create these warm, inviting environments, they know that we're listening to, you know, from their perspective to tell them what they did wrong. Right. <laughs> and that's harder for some students to take than other students. And even though that's not the definition of what I'm doing, right. uh, it is a perception that students of any age are going to have with coming to play for their teacher. So Yes. Although on that note, I recently released an um, episode with uh, Dr. Barbara Fast, who talked about what you're describing mm -hmm. about how we always want to correct and what she said which now I've become obsessed with incorporating into my lessons is if you give them compliments for at least 12 seconds, then yeah. it will linger in their long-term memory. And so now what I've tried to do, especially with these shy students who might be a little sensitive to criticism is try to, I mean, I don't like have a timer going, but about <laughs> like really in detail, give compliments about all the things I liked before I start talking about criticism. And I have found with some of these shy students that that seems to make them more open to getting feedback. Absolutely. I loved that interview. I love Barbara Fast and her research. And I also loved you pointed out that, you know, that once upon a time in your teaching, you would like lead with a compliment, but then immediately follow up with the critique, right? And your yes. students grew wise to that and they would completely dismiss the compliment. I've yep. so been there in my younger days yep. too. Um, <laughs> so it starts to mean nothing if it's just always this predictable formula. So Absolutely. I love the 12 seconds too. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Then switching gears a little bit. Another element of piano teaching that I think some teachers have a negative association with that on your podcast, you provide a positive <laughs> spin on is online teaching. You talk about this in your episode, Cheers to Making the Most of Online Lessons. So many teachers are kind of frustrated by the limitations of online lessons. And I know some teachers now with the pandemic kind of slightly easing its way out, um, are worried that even post-pandemic, a lot of families will still want online lessons due to convenience. And what I really liked in that episode of yours is you point out that some of the frustration we feel with online teaching might not actually be due to the experience of these online lessons themselves. I think what you said is like, sometimes the thing that we think is the thing is not the thing. <laughs> uh, can you exactly expand? Right. Yeah. Can you expand a little on how we might be able to approach online teaching um, with a more positive mindset? Absolutely. I, yes, that was a great quote, by the way. Nice work. <laughs> <laughs> I 
yes, the thing that you think is the thing is not always the thing. It's so true because, you know, we have to just take a general perspective of what's going on in humanity over this last year or so. And, you know, online teaching wasn't completely new for me, but doing it full time was very new to me as it was for most of us. And I'm going on, you know, I went online in March and I'm still fully online in my studio. Um, we're looking to return hopefully this summer. And I, I mean, it was exhausting, of course, we all can recognize that. And there were frustrations with the technology and with mm -hmm. the lack of presence. And I missed the ease of conversation yeah. about, um, you know, physical lessons. And at the same time, like, we just have to keep in mind that we had a lot working through our brains and a lot to process and a lot to contend with in our lives. Um, you know, having my girls home from school full time and trying to balance all of these things. It was really complicated. And so a lot of times our feelings about online lessons and our studio family's feelings about online lessons um, are tainted a bit because we somehow have now lumped it together with our negative feelings about this pandemic, right? And it's one more thing that got taken away from us. Yeah, it's this, you know, one more thing that we had to change because this crazy event happened in our lives, you know? And so it's important for us to keep that in mind and then try to decide what's really what. And I think that, I guess what all of our conversation today, I should probably say, comes down to is the fact that I think we get in trouble when we define our success as piano teachers fully based on results in the way that like if we're fully measuring our success as, oh, my student's playing the next harder thing and the next harder thing and the next harder thing. Um, of course, that's an element there. <laughs> no, I don't want to, I, my students are all advancing. Um, but my experience with online lessons has been that my students have continued to advance. Um, and it's been in different ways, right? Um, I We were working on a recording project. And so every now and then one of my students would trickle over to my studio and we would distance and I'd let them play. And it was painfully obvious to me that uh, their pedaling and their understanding of how to handle a you know more sophisticated instrument had definitely backslid a little bit <laughs> since they weren't coming to my studio. Um, but at the same time, so many other qualities of their playing got so much better, like you know, and we tried to just gobble up a lot of repertoire and really work on aural skills and all kinds of things. Wow. And so in that way, they're progressing and we'll just kind of continue to figure out what works and what doesn't. That's a great way of framing it. I think another advantage I found with online lessons, not, not as much nowadays, but at least in the earlier parts of the pandemic, a lot of my students really felt isolated and yes. very kind of lonely and bored. And a lot of parents reached out to me and said that you know, these piano lessons were the one thing keeping their kids sane. Oh, you're so right. And to me, I feel like that's more powerful than just making them advance musically in the way that I was used to. Yeah. And that's, yes, thank you. Because I think I got a little sidetracked, but that's where I wanted to go is that's the real success, right? Is that we are building, you know, these human beings of any age, you know, my adults needed the interaction just as much as my younger students did. Um, because it was, and it was, a, you know, our lessons were times where we could do something even in an abnormal way, we could still like be working together towards this musical goal. 
And those kids, I mean, that is, was such a difficult transition that I don't know that a lot of teachers have given credence to, like how hard that was on students to be, you know, taken out of school and, you know, their teachers were just treading water for all they were worth. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it was really challenging. So I know like that's why my students kept paying for their lessons. I'm 100% sure because from the other room, their parents could hear them laughing and it was the only time they were laughing, <laughs> you know, yeah. that that time. And I, as a parent, like that is worth its weight in gold. I'm here to tell you. So absolutely. absolutely. Uh, one other thing on <laughs> online lessons before we switch to a different subject. In your episode, uh, Cheers to Making the Most of Online Lessons, you gave one quick tip that I want to share with everyone where you said you've trained yourself to look directly into the camera <laughs> lens of the computer. And I have to say, this is a, um audio-only podcast, but I'm still seeing you on video, even if it won't be released that way. But I think since the start of the pandemic, this is the only time I've ever been in a web call where I have felt like actual eye contact the whole way through. So it really makes a big difference. So I just have to say that. That's <laughs> So that's hilarious, a quick tip ben. for all of everyone listening. If you want to you know, look right at the camera. Uh, because I'm really feeling the effects right now of that. Um, I do. And I really think like I've learned to work this space, like the space of the okay. box that the students see, like to work your gestures in a way, like when we talk about a line moving forward, I'll move my finger forward across the screen, you know, and That's I good. get real close and, you know, I'll be like, hey, I need to tell you this thing and I'll get really close to the screen. Oh, and I honestly creative. think that's a I feel like that's silly to say out loud, but it really has been very effective. <laughs> so. Uh -huh. I don't know. But thank right. you for the compliment. I appreciate it. <laughs> now, going back to what you were saying earlier about how we don't have to only be results focused when we're thinking about different elements to get excited about regarding our students. So I'd like to talk about um, how we as teachers can concentrate more acutely on some of the positive elements of piano teaching that we might currently be taking for granted. And one element that I think relates to all this which I think teachers could perhaps afford to revel in more, is the musical accomplishments of their students right at the moment of the lesson, even as the scale or piece that they're working on at that time is very, very far from polished. I think as teachers, and we talked about this earlier, we're always thinking about what our students can do better, and we sometimes lose appreciation for what they have accomplished. And you talk about this in your episode, Cheers to the Musician You Are Today. Um, you say, I really like this quote that you gave. I'm going to uh, quote you. It, it is absolutely essential that we are helping students to celebrate their abilities today so that they will want to keep playing tomorrow, end quote. Can you expand a bit on that? Absolutely. Um, I'll tell you, I, I think in I'm a big like self-reflection, you know, obsessed person. I love kind of thinking about why I feel the way I do about things. And most of us as teachers are, you know, individuals who have gone through a pretty rigorous musical training, you know, and we, a lot of us have sought out degrees and different certification programs. And for whatever reason, like the, the thrill of always reaching for the next thing is very much part of who we are. And it's driven us to the success of this instrument, right? Um, but that is not every human. <laughs> and I do feel strongly that playing music is good for every human. I mean, I, I do, I fundamentally think that we all benefit from something like the pursuit of the piano, right? And I think I'm not alone in that, right? Isn't that why we're doing what we're doing? Um, and so if you look at it through that lens, we, it's so important for us to remember that not everyone feels like, 
oh, I need to, you know, learn the sonatina so that I can learn, you know, the next, you know, and, and work on up to the Chopin scherzo. You know, that's not <laughs> everyone's goal. And, you know, a student who's learning, you know, the, the release gesture of a two-note slur doesn't understand why they're learning that gesture, you know, and that that's going to be the foundation for, you know, all of these advanced articulations down the road, you know, they just know that they're, you know, going to make this cool sound on the instrument. And that's so important for us to remember. And even ourselves, like as musicians, don't we all have to come to that realization that we're really only competing against ourselves, you know, and as long as we're improving day to day to day, then we're on a good path, right? Because yeah. otherwise in music, you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of disappointment if you're constantly competing about everyone around you. And so for students, I just think they need to be able to acknowledge like what they're able to do in this moment. Like, hey, you can sit down and you can sight read this piece. It might only be two notes at first, but hey, look, you just turn this system of random, you know, blobs of ink on a page into actual music. Isn't that amazing? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and on up through the through the spectrum, right? I just think it's so important that we do take time ourselves and for our students to acknowledge that like, yes, there's a long road ahead and there's all kinds of things we can do. But like, can we just take a, a second and celebrate what we're able to do like right now? Like, mm -hmm. I think that's really, really good. <laughs> yeah, I really felt that in one lesson I had a few weeks ago with a student who was playing uh, the song Outer Space from Piano Safari. And if, if you don't know it, it um, I don't know if I know it off the top of my head. It's like one, two, three, and then it goes higher and higher. And then the right. ending of the song is a black key glist. Like, right. And so I had one student who was doing that song and she got so much stuff wrong in terms of the <laughs> rhythms, the counting. But then when we got to the end, she did the glist and was so thrilled about it. And I think I realized after the lesson, I spent so much time correcting all the mistakes, but I thought after the lesson, like, how exciting must it be for someone who has never done a gliss before to hold down the pedal and hear that magic wash of set? Like, I probably could have yeah. really indulged in that more. And I think that goes in the sense of trying to be empathic and put yourself in the heads of the kids. Like, the kids don't necessarily know everything that they could be doing better. They're trying to think in the moment. And I think that would be an example of something where we could be more present and not always focus on what could they have done better. Mm -hmm. For sure. That sounds like a great example. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, going beyond musical benefits, I want to talk more broadly about our interactions with students. You've become uh, very well known for speaking about developing meaningful relationships with your students, not just on your podcast, but also on other podcasts. I've seen you give interviews about this topic. I know you recently had an MTNA conference talk about this. Um, mm -hmm. I can speak personally and say sometimes when it's a long teaching day and I'm you know, not necessarily in my best frame of mind, my students tend to kind of blur together and I don't necessarily think about what effects I might be having on each individual student beyond just kind of making them better at playing piano. So can you speak a bit about how we can gain a better sense and appreciation for the wide range of types of impacts we have on our students beyond just getting them better at reading notes or rhythms? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a challenge, right? I mean, I, I pull along teaching days too. And I think for me, especially during the pandemic, but even like like the 30 minutes leading up to a long teaching block for me, I just think, oh, I can't, I can't possibly like keep this level of enthusiasm all the time. <laughs> 
and I just, you know, oh, I have so much to do. And, and it is, it's very easy to kind of lose track of each individual. But I tell my pedagogy students all the time that, I mean, that's, that's our focus is that for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or however long you're spending with your students, like you are sharing space or screen with another human being. And that is your number one, you know, point of focus is that, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, I mean, if you're constantly focused on that results-based you know, practice of like, okay, well, we did our scales. Okay, now we got to learn this piece. And oh, no, they did, you know, they didn't do all these things we fixed. So now we got to play the piece again. And now I feel like I'm a failure and the student's not doing anything. And, you know, that's a terrible way to live your teaching life. <laughs> you know, But if you instead just take the student for where they are, okay, why didn't they practice this week? Okay, well, maybe they blew the week off. Sometimes it happens. Um, or maybe, you know, they had a science fair project to do, which is a total nightmare. And, you know, maybe they didn't get to finish their piece this week. <laughs> uh, but what can we do today to still make some music, to try to learn one new thing, move forward with some new piece of information? Um, I know I've mentioned on my podcast before that in my earlier teaching days, I had a practice where I would ask my students at the end of their lesson to tell me one new thing that they learned that day. And this was great account accountability for me because we, as much as we hope that our students are going to learn at least one new thing every lesson, like sometimes that doesn't always happen as readily. Um, and so that was a great way for me that I should probably go back to actually <laughs> to make sure that I am imparting something that they're taking out the door, regardless of how much they practiced. But you know, we have a lot of knowledge running around our brains as teachers. You know, right. it's not just about what's on the method book, method book page <laughs> and whether or not they got to turn it, you know. So I would just say in general, like staying focused on the human being in front of you. Um, I have a friend, a very well-intentioned, terrific collegiate teacher friend one time who asked me how many students I had. And when I told her, she was like, how do you know their names? <laughs> I've gotten so, that comment too. Yeah. yeah. She's like, how do you remember their names? I'm like, well, gosh, I know a lot more than that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it made me laugh because it, uh, you know, I, anyway, it's just funny. You know, our human brains have so much capacity for so many things that anyway. <laughs> and if you focus on getting to know the person in front of you and what makes them tick and what makes them excited and what drains them, then, you know, it's a new challenge every 30 minutes and then I don't get burnout. <laughs> right. One little thing I've done to help with that, which goes to your point about how do you remember their names, is I have kind of a <laughs> file where I take notes on each student. And I used to just take kind of quick musical notes, like this is what scale they have to work on, this is what piece. But now I've started writing even little things they say, like they have a birthday party next week or something. So then I can ask them in the next lesson, how was the birthday party? And I think when you start writing things like that over time, you gain a better sense of who they are as people. Yes. Um, it goes beyond just seeing them as just all about piano. That comes pretty naturally to me. Again, I think that's just baked into who I am. And I remember things like that. But that's, again, very much my mindset. So I teach, I tell teachers all the time, like, take those notes. Like, that is terrific. In fact, my eye doctor, um, <laughs> one year, this is many years ago, but she had this excellent tech, you know, so you go to your eye doctor appointment and the tech does some, like, preliminary exams with you before you see your actual eye doctor, right? And the tech started asking me about, like, this 
like choir accompanying job that I was going to take the year before, but then ended up not taking. And she was like, oh, so are you still playing for blah, blah, blah choir? And (laughs) I had to laugh. And I was like, you have a note in my chart, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Because we must have talked about it the year before. Because otherwise, there's no way she would have remembered this random choir accompanying gig. Um, (laughs) And I was like, I'm on to you, but I like it. There we go. We should all strive to be like that eye doctor. That's that's um, exactly right. Okay. Before we uh, go today, um, as we kind of wrap up this pep talk, is there anything we haven't covered or any other kind of positive element of piano teaching that we could encourage our listeners to pay attention to more closely or any other supposedly negative element of piano teaching that we could perhaps approach with a more optimistic perspective before we close off today? Well, I guess I would say if there was another untouched topic, it would be, you know, we talked about the quiet students, Mm -hmm. but what about like the challengers, Uh, like your super, you know, behaviorally challenged students? (laughs) No. So first of all, I mean, I think you have to weigh this very carefully, you know, in your interviewing and, and onboarding process, but I'm strange in the way that I like to have a few challengers in the mix (laughs) because I feel like they make me a better teacher. And I think if you have a student for whatever reason that drives you kind of crazy and maybe they don't listen very well or maybe they're prone to some emotional outbursts and that kind of thing, um, I think the best thing to remember is that there's always a reason that student is behaving in that way, you know, and it's not just oh, they have bad parenting or, oh, they're rude. <laughs> you know, um, Sometimes that's a factor, but children behave in ways because they're looking to receive a certain something, you know, and so maybe they need to be challenged more or maybe they need to be right. listened to or maybe they need someone to prove to them they're not going to give up on them or, you know, what have you. Um, but that's a, a type of student that I have a really good track record with. And I'm really proud of that because I have students who just have terrible school experiences because, you know, for not for lack of trying, but their classroom teachers just don't have the energy and the bandwidth to give to them um, in the classroom setting. But when I get them one-on-one, we can kind of work through a lot of those challenges. And I would just encourage teachers not to write a student off just because behaviorally they're kind of challenging. Um, Because first of all, as they get older, that stuff really changes sometimes (laughs) Um, and they can be very fulfilling. And if nothing else, I think you're doing a good service. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of this one study. Uh, I don't know if I really know it all off the top of my head. It was something where the teachers were told about who was at the top of the class and who was at the bottom of the class, and it was randomly switched across different ones. And what they found is regardless of who the student was, whichever students the teachers were told were at the top of the class Mm -hmm. were the ones who ended up doing the best on the test because the teacher taught expecting that student to be the best. And I think it's the same thing with these challenging students. If we file them off in our head as, oh, they're just challenging students, we'll teach with that expectation and we're not going to help them grow as much as if we try to see beyond that and see them the same way we see our other students. Absolutely. It's that theme of not chasing, you know, the same result. I guess maybe that's the best way to say it, because I do want to see results in my students. But, you know, every student result is going to look differently. And, you know, those challenging students sometimes come with slower progress, but sometimes it's just the fact that, oh, maybe I need to, you know, just focus on showing them, you know, a new style each lesson or a new, you know, some new element. Um, You know, we just really have to teach the student and not 
you know, the book, <laughs> you know, whatever Absolutely. you're using. So. Right. Okay. So before we wrap up today, can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to now and how everyone listening can learn more about you? Well, I'll tell you, um, I'm up to all kinds of things, but um, I have a new website in the works, so I won't even bother like directing people that way. But I will tell you that one of my very favorite things to do is to speak to other teaching groups. So if anyone is interested in having me come do so, um, you can just email me at beyondmeasurepodcast at gmail.com. And um, otherwise, yes, I have a podcast. So. Absolutely. Um, and it is called Beyond Measure with Christina Whitlock. Um, it releases every Monday morning. I try really hard to keep episodes under 20 minutes. And yeah, we just, um, it's all about solidarity amongst independent music teachers. And the fact that we all do better when we get more time together. And yet we're all so busy that it's really difficult for us to find that time to meet together. So I'll just hang out and wait for you in your favorite podcasting app. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it's a great podcast. I could vouch for it myself. Oh, I've listened to almost all the episodes, and it's definitely made me a much better teacher. So I really appreciate everything you do, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. If you have any feedback about the episode you just heard or about the podcast in general, please feel free to reach out to me through the contact page at www.bencapolo.com. Thank you.